Thanks for joining us today at Launch Point Church in Lebanon, Tennessee. We believe the Bible is the written word of God without error and useful for every part of our lives. We believe that through learning and teaching of the word, others might come to know God, find freedom, discover their purpose, and make a difference. Thanks again and enjoy today's message from Pastor Jim Kubik. Today's going to be challenging. It's going to be celebration, but it's going to be challenging also because God expects us to do hard and difficult things. God has empowered us by his spirit to, to, for the, with the ability to do hard and difficult things. And we should celebrate that. I celebrate that. And he often does that by feeding a man a vision. It's the reason why I, I do everything I can to ensure that you're not attached to me. There's, there are too many churches that are, especially legacy churches, where there's a founding pastor and that pastor's there for any amount of time. That if something happens to the pastor, the church dies because they built their foundation on their pastor, not on the vision that God gave. And so I want you guys to buy into the vision, not to me, because I believe the vision is more important than me. I know the vision is more important than me. If I died tomorrow, this church should still be able to go because you've not bought into who I am, but you bought into the vision that God has given the church. Amen? I'm trying to tell you my prayer, my hope, is that some point in my future, I'm gone for about three months, and somebody turns around and looks at his neighbor and says, wasn't there another guy preaching some point here? Because we should lead to leave, right? And you can only lead to leave if you're casting vision, if you're hearing from God, so that you become less and less relevant to those that are hearing. Because the message is priority. Everybody okay with that? I know I came strong, hard out of the gate, but it's, I need you to pay attention today because God's expecting us to do hard things. I'm going to start today with this. We're making a single three-word statement. Vision accelerates mission. Vision accelerates mission. What do I mean by that? I mean, there's a difference between vision and mission. We all know what our mission statement is, right? We all say it every time before we leave here. We exist to be a place where people can come to know God, find freedom, discover their purpose, and make a difference. This is our mission. This is where we're going. This is the, this is the goal, the, the place that we hope to end up. But how we get from where we are to where we hope to end up is our vision. And if we have strong vision, if we have ever-evolving vision and your vision should evolve because your church evolves your community evolves the people in the demographic within your community evolve and so how you get there may have to change but the goal is never changing and so this is why we have vision meetings this is why we have vision casting sessions because we believe that god has given us due to the demographic the expectation the size that we will that i believe that we're going to end up we have to do things differently now than we did it then. And so if we cast a credible, God-given vision and the people get a hold of it, then it accelerates us to accomplishing the mission. Amen? Everybody got what I'm saying? So vision accelerates mission. If you, don't have, if you have mission with no vision, everybody's going to try to get to the mission a different way. But we all need to be unified. And so I want us to be a unified body. Amen? And so I want to talk to you today about vision. Like I told you, I'm going to do three things today. I'm going to talk to you about what it means to seek vision, celebrate 2019, and talk about what God wants to do 
through us and to us in 2020. I'm going to talk to you about seeking vision first. I think the saddest, some of the saddest words that have ever come out of an adult's mouth into my ears is when a 35, somebody 35 or 40 years old or older comes to my office and says, I don't know what God has for me. I don't know my purpose in life. And I know because I've talked with some of you that you're asking that question right now. And I'm not degrading you. I'm just saying that it's, it saddens me that you do that, that, that that's, that's where you are. And so before we start talking about casting vision, I want to talk to you about how, how to obtain vision. For three reasons. One, I need you to understand how I get to where I am. How I seek the face of God. I want, you, I want to invite you into my process as, it, as, you, as you would. Secondly, the second reason I want to do that is because if you don't have an understanding of where you're going or what you should be doing, hopefully you can apply this system or for lack of a better way to put it, you can apply this system to find out what God would have for you in your personal life. Thirdly, I want you to seek vision for how God would have you attach yourself to the vision of the house. Because I need you attached to the vision of the house. And everybody, because of your family, your lifestyle, where you live, all the stuff is going to have to attach differently to the vision that this house has. And I need us all on the same page. Amen? And so I'm going to do that. I'm going to talk today about seeking vision from the book where you would expect me to start, and that's the book of Habakkuk. I did this teaching with my leadership, with our leadership, some year or two ago. And I'm going to give you a five-step process for obtaining vision. And when I say obtaining vision, really what I'm saying is obtaining anything from God, any direction from God, any answer from God. You have an answer for you need an answer from God. This is how you do it. You need vision from God. This is how you do it. I'm going to I'm not going to read the entire chapter one and two, but let me give you some background about what's happening. So Habakkuk is a. Is a uh, prophet. And he's calling out to God because the Chaldeans, the Chaldeans are coming against Judah. And he doesn't think that's right. He's God's chosen people. And how dare, how dare these unrighteous people come against God's chosen people? And he begins to ask questions that I've heard many of us ask. Which is the first step in obtaining an answer from God, a vision from God. You have to be willing to ask hard questions. And that first question should be, God, what do you want from me? It doesn't, doesn't have any, isn't it interesting that the question that you ask has nothing to do with you except for how you should submit to everything that he wants you to do? Ask. In, in talking to God, Habakkuk asked seven questions. He said, How long, O Lord, will I call for your help and you will not hear? This is verse 2. Verse 12, he says, Are you not from everlasting, O Lord, my God, my Holy One? In verse 13, he says, Your eyes are too pure to approve evil, and you cannot look on wickedness with favor. Why do you look with favor on those who deal treacherously? And so he's asking the question, Why are these people that, that are unrighteous... Why are they being allowed to come against the righteous? He continues, Why are you silent when the wicked swallow up those more righteous than they? Why do you make men like the fish of the sea, like creeping things without a ruler over them? Verse 17, 
Will they therefore empty their net and continually slay nations without sparing? He's asking sincere questions of God. But they're not happy questions. Don't be scared to get your ask out of the way. Even when it's a hard question, especially when it's a hard question. Can I tell you that the reason he's able to ask the questions that he's asking, the reason that David was able to ask God hard questions, because David asked a lot of these same questions. How are you going to let this happen to me? You promised me this, this, and this. That's not happening. You know why he could do that? Because he had an intimacy with God that other people weren't having. And so if you'll get intimate with God, he'll allow you to ask any question, including why. People say, I don't think, is it a lack of faith to ask why? No, it shows intimacy because you expect God to reveal himself to you. And so you should ask first. You want to step towards having a vision for your life? Ask God the hard question. Number two, you have to withdraw. This is a physical exercise. Everybody do me a favor. If you have a cell phone on, on you, pick it up, hold it over your head. All right. That's almost everybody in here. That's everybody in here, I'd say. Some of y'all just didn't hold up your cell phone. This is the greatest distraction you have in your life right now. I guarantee it. If you go to your data usage, you're going to find social media is the number one usage of power on your phone. You know what that means? That means you've wasted that amount of time of your life. You've allowed the static of whatever else is going on around in the world to alienate you from what's actually going on around the world. God can't talk through your static. Correction. God won't talk through your static. If you're not willing to withdraw as Habakkuk withdrew, God's not going to force you to listen. You have to get to a place where you can actually hear. And a lot of that time is when you shut the TV off, when you shut your cell phone off, when you create intimate time. You know why, dis you know why spiritual disciplines are called spiritual disciplines? Because they're not fun at first. They have to be disciplined into us. But that doesn't mean that they're not necessary. Amen? And so, amen? All right, I told you I need your energy today. Some of y'all staring at me, eyeballs, so big your eyeballs are touching in the middle. So you have to withdraw. This is what Habakkuk did. He said, I will, I will station myself on the rampart. You know what that means? You know what a rampart is? Back in the day, the cities had walls around them. And the rampart was the tower on the wall. And so he went as far away from his, the noise, the, the, the loudness of the city as he possibly could and still be in a safe place and waited to hear what God had to say to him, which was the next thing that we need to do. And I will keep watch and see what he will speak to me. And how I may reply when I am reproved. So we have to ask, withdraw, and then wait for Him to speak. This is where we stop, most of us. You know why? You know why I believe we stop? Because the next sentence in Habakkuk says this. I will keep watch to see what He has to speak to me and how I may reply when I am reproved which means reprimanded. If you're silent before the Lord long enough, He's going to start pointing out your deficiencies before He tells you how to fix somebody else's. And we don't like that. 
but it's necessary. Anytime I go to seek vision, anytime I need something from God, the first thing I do is I ask God, God, is there anything in my life that needs to get out of the way before I could do anything for somebody else? Because you do not do, you do not want to do ministry from a position of hypocrisy. Not only do we wait, then we have to write it down. Whatever it is you're seeking an answer for, whether it be vision or a question that you have, you need to write it down. Verse 2 says this, Then the Lord answered me and said, Record the vision and inscribe it on tablets. That means record it. That means make it known. Make sure, make sure you have it down. And inscribe it on tablets that the one who reads it may run. What? I think, I don't know about you guys, but there was a time when I thought, if God spoke to me, there's no way I'm forgetting that. What's the point in writing it down? And some, some of us can't remember what God told us to do two months ago. If we write it down, we can go back to it. When people say, you should be doing this instead of this, or my emotions get all in turmoil, and I say, I should be doing this instead of what God's called me to, you know what I get to do? I get to open up my notebook, and I look at the vision that God gave me, and I see, and I, ta I date and time those things when I write them down, what God actually called me to, not what my emotions have convinced me God called me to. I'm trying, to, trying, to trying to help you today. But there's a, there's a more significant thing than writing it down or equally significant thing to writing it down. And that is so that it may be run with. From the time you get a vision, from the time you get an answer, God expects you to do something with that. He expects you to run with it. The problem with running with a vision that isn't written down, that isn't determined in your mind, is that as you start running, you're going to have decisions to make. You're going to get to a fork in the road, one left and one right. One's what you should be doing, one's what you've been distracted to do. And you're going to have to stop running and figure out which of these is the right path, which means you're slowing the progress of whatever God's called you to do. Vision accelerates mission. If it's written down, I already have it established in my mind and in my spirit, and I can go back to it. When I get to that crossroads, I don't have to slow down. I know where I'm going because I made a decision to go there before I got there. I can't get where I'm going. It's because you're slowing down all the time. Somebody says you're never going to get where you're going if you throw a rock at every barking dog. Some of us are throwing rocks at barking dogs because we haven't written down where we're going. Finally, because God is faithful. Can I get an amen on that? Because God is faithful, He is going to give you what you've asked for because the Bible does say in 1 John, Anything I ask according to his will, he hears me. And because he hears me, I have that which I've asked for. And let me tell you, if your purpose in life isn't in his will, nothing would be. He has a purpose for you. And he wants you to know it. That's his will. But you know what you need to do after that? What Habakkuk did. You know, he asked, he asked seven questions. And then he waited for an answer and got it and wrote it down. You know what God told him? I want you to go and read the rest of Habakkuk. God told him, he said, let me tell you, bro, it's going to get a lot worse before it gets better. 
you think it's bad now, it's going to be worse. He didn't give him the answer he wanted. Which may happen to you. Can I tell you, I didn't want to plant a church in Lebanon. When I left here, 10 years before I came back here, I did not have a good reputation in this town. Everybody that hates me lives here. Everybody that hates me still lives here. I'm just hoping there's less of them. Right? But most people that love me live here too. But my point is, you may not get the answer that you want. Your job is to praise Him regardless. At the end of Habakkuk, you read this. He says, Though the fig tree should not blossom and there be no fruit on the vine, though the yield of the olive should fail and the fields produce no food, though the flock should be cut off from the fold and there be no cattle in the stalls. And so he's essentially saying, listen, it doesn't matter whether I have anything to eat. It doesn't matter whether I have food. It doesn't matter whether I have a place to live. It doesn't matter anything. This is what I've set my heart to do. I will exult in the Lord. I will rejoice in the God of my salvation. Exult means celebrate. I will rejoice in the God of my salvation. The Lord is my strength. And he has made my feet like hind's feet and make my walk and makes me walk on high places. So he's saying it doesn't matter about all that stuff. It doesn't matter my situation. He's kind of mimicking Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego when they said, My God will save us from this fire. But if he don't, I'm going to serve him anyway. A man that has a vision set in his heart will make those kind of statements. And will make them convictionally, not flippantly. What is it you believe God's called you to do? If you don't know, take these steps. Ask, withdraw, wait, write it down. And then regardless of the answer, praise Him anyway. Because He will save you. But even if He doesn't, even if you die, He's already saved you. Again, there's three reasons why I need you to know that. My process I need you to find out what God has for you. And I need you to understand or come to an understanding of how if you're going to stay here, you attach yourself to the vision that God's given this house. You know what I loved about last year's vision meeting? It was our third year. This is our fourth year. We're starting our fifth year. This is the end of our fourth year. So last year we started the end of our third year. You know why I was excited about that meeting? Because the statistic says that, I want to say 85 or maybe 90% of all church plants will die within the first, I'm sorry, that, out, that live to at least three years are ultimately sustainable. And so let me tell you, from now on, we're not calling Launch Point Church a church plant anymore. This is Launch Point Church, dedicated and committed to this community. Because we're not transient. We're here to stay. And we're here to stay to ensure that people here know about God. And that Jesus is glorified. But you know what? We ain't done yet. And so I want to talk to you this today. About the vision for 2020. This is kind of, kind of a misnomer really though. Because I think the vision that God's given us is a, is a three year vision. And so we're going to be pressing towards this for the next three years at least. I want to talk to you about our vision from Acts. Everything that we do 
Everything that we have done, everything that we will do is for one purpose. You know what that purpose is? Grow in the kingdom of God. Did you hear me? You didn't seem like you were excited about that. Grow in the kingdom of God. I've already spoke to our vision once already where I told you that we exist to be a place where people can come to know God, find freedom, discover their purpose, and make a difference. Do you know why know God is first? Why didn't I put find freedom first? Because anytime we put our hand to anything, we look at this mission statement. And there's four boxes in our mission statement. One box on top, three boxes underneath that box. That one box on top is find or know God. And so everything we put our hand to has to first fill that box. Has to bring us to a place where, has to bring others to a place where they come to know God. If it doesn't bring people ultimately to a place where they can come to know God, which is to grow the kingdom of God, then we don't do it. And once we fill that box, we ask, which of these other three boxes does it involve? Does it create freedom? Does it discover purpose? Does it make an ultimate difference? And if it does that ultimate difference, the only real ultimate difference is to create opportunity for you to then introduce other people so that they might know God too. And so our primary responsibility as a church, any church, is to grow the kingdom of God. And I want to talk to you about how we're planning on doing that for the next three years. Acts chapter 2, I'm going to read, starting in verse 37. Let me give you a little background. It's the day of Pentecost. People are, people are speaking in tongues and apparently being pretty loud. And somebody comes up and says, listen to these guys, man, they're all drunk. Peter stands up and boldened and says, says drunk, man, it's only 9 o'clock in the morning. We're not drunk. Let me tell you what's happening. Then he, he gives the prophecy that says that God's going to pour his spirit out on all, all flesh, men and women alike, and men and women will prophesy and all of these things. And then he gives the gospel message. A true, legitimate, this is who Jesus is, this is why he came, and this is what he did for you, and this is what you did to him. And then in verse 37, we start reading. Now when they heard this, they were pierced to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brethren, what shall we do? Peter said to them, Repent, and each of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promises for you and your children and for all who are far off, as many as the Lord our God will call to himself. And with many other words, he solemnly testified and kept on exhorting them, saying, Be saved from this perverse generation. So essentially, he gave, he's given an altar call. So then those who had received his word were baptized. And that day they were added about 3,000 souls. What? You don't think the gospel is the power of God unto salvation? First to the Jew and then to the Gentile? Certainly it is. One gospel presentation, 3,000 people gave their life to the Lord. That's incredible. Amen? And so the kingdom grew by 3,000 souls that day. Our vision, it's usually encapsulated, has been up to this point in a single word. We've had reach. We've had strive. And for the next three years, the encapsulated vision is going to be GROW. G-R-O-W. And this is an acronym. 
And I want to explain that acronym to you. But I'm going to do it after I read verses 42 through 47. They were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching and to, follow, and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. And everyone kept feeling a sense of awe and many wonders and signs were taking place through the apostles. And all those who had believed were together and had all things in common. And they began selling their property and possessions and were sharing them with all as anyone might have need. Day by day, continuing with one mind in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they were taking their meals together with gladness and sincerity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord was adding to their number day by day those who were being saved. Again, we see it over and over and over again. The proclamation of the gospel grows the kingdom of God. Amen? Our responsibility. What's our primary responsibility as a church? Grow the kingdom of God. I want to explain to you how we're going to do that with the word grow, which happens to be an acronym, which is great for me because I'm not very smart. Grow literally means ground. If you want to write this down, we'll get to it in a minute. Don't, don't, don't flip through them yet. Flip through them as I go through, as I teach through them. Ground, righteousness, outreach, and worship. In verses 42 through 47, we see this. We see them being devoted, which means giving constant, steadfast, unwavering attention to something. What are they giving steadfast, unwavering attention to? First, the gospel-centered preaching. And then doctrinal teaching, along with fellowship, the breaking of bread, which is the sacraments, because they're not talking about just eating and hanging out. They're talking about the breaking of bread as far as communion. And prayer. They were committed. They were steadfast in their devotion to the gospel, to teaching, to fellowship, to the sacraments, and to prayer. And when these things happened, let me read to you out of verse 43 what happens. In verse 43, awe happens. Brought on by signs and wonders. You know what awe is? It's a fear of the Lord that creates reverence. When God works through man and miracles and wonders happen, there's always signs. You know why there's a sign? Because it points to something. It points to the fact that God did whatever that miracle was. And so that creates a healthy reverence. When we have a healthy church, we have a healthy reverence. And not only that, but in verse 44, it declares that a, a healthy church, these kinds of environments where people are devoted to gospel teaching, fellowship, sacraments, and prayer, unity happens. The greatest builder of congregations and, and fellowship is unity. Matter of fact, you can't do anything without unity. I've taught and taught and taught Psalms 133 because it needs to be said over and over and over again that unless there's unity, there's no anointing. Read Psalms 133, you'll believe me. If you believe the Word of God, you'll believe me because that's what it says. People say, I can't get free. That's because you're always talking about your brother or your sister behind your back. You can't find freedom because you can't break the chains because the anointing breaks the chains that are binding you. The anointing being a fancy word just saying the manifest presence of God. 
is available in unity. How many of you guys would like to see more manifest presence of God in your personal life? Those of you guys that aren't raising your hand, you don't understand the words that I'm saying. Because everybody needs more presence of God in their life. Not only unity, but generosity. In verse 45, we read, And they began selling their property and possessions and were sharing them with all as anyone might have need. One of our core values here is a culture of generosity. You know why? Because God, by His very nature, is generous, is a giver. In Psalms, I think, 1024, I could be wrong, says that no student is above his teacher, nor no slave above his master. And so if God is a giver by nature, we should be givers by nature. This happens when we devote ourselves, when we had a steadfast attention to gospel preaching, teaching, fellowship, sacraments, and prayer. Not only that, but gladness and extreme joy. They experience sincerity of heart, hearts that are without hypocrisy. Which means they were who they said they were when they were inside the church and outside the church. I'm going to be silent on that one for a little while. Let you think on through that one. Because I'm afraid many of us aren't the same person inside or outside of church. Which leads to praising God in favor and influence. This is how the kingdom grows. These things that I've listed is how the kingdom grows. And so I want to talk to you about how LaunchPoint is going to continue to grow. The G stands for ground. G-R-O-U-N-D. I mean multiple things when I, when I declare that we will grow in ground over the next three years. I, I believe that God's going to put us over 300 in, 200, in 2020. Which means this room, this room won't hold at the services that we have the number of people that we'll be seeing here every Sunday. There's 123 chairs in this room. At 300 people by the end of the year means we're going to have to add a third service. We're going to talk about what that looks like later. But just know growth is coming. It's time for this church to move out of a storefront, find some ground to buy, to build a church in so that we can have a permanent place from which to do ministry. That's, that's the main reason why I believe this vision is going to be three years long because whatever God calls us to do, when we figure out exactly where, I believe we could, I believe because we, God has been so good to us, because Miss Diane makes sure that we steward our money so well, I believe we could pay it off in three years or less. And that's the goal. That's not the goal I give you to get you to give. That's the goal I give you because I believe that's the goal. Because I believe it's obtainable. Amen. But not only ground, we need to grow in influence. Our ground needs to grow as far as our influence goes. Not for influence sake. I don't want influence for influence sake. But did you know your influence creates room for you? I want to be a church 
of great influence. I, I want LPC, and this is going to be probably sound very or very arrogant. I don't mean for it to, but I want Launch Point Church to be a household name in this community. Because when it's a household name in this community, that means people trust the ministry that we're doing. And they should be able to trust the ministry that we're doing. I, I wonder, and I had a guy tell me, he said, you shouldn't ask that question because it's individualistic. And I don't care. I, I, I like the question anyway. And the question is, if Launch Point Church wasn't here, would this city miss it? If the answer is no, we're not doing church right. Because this church has to be outside the walls. We need to be affecting this community. Amen? And so we need to grow in ground, which is a numerical growth, an obtaining actual ground, and an increase in influence. Secondly, righteousness. To grow in righteousness, I, I, here's where I'm going to start expecting of you. It's going to be awesome. <laughs> to grow by proper teaching and preaching of God's word. Do you know you grow to a state of maturity as you sit under the word of God? Whether you read it yourself, whether you meditate on your meditate it, meditate on it by yourself is one thing. But a true Christian who says he doesn't need church doesn't understand the word of God in the first place. You need church. You need the fellowship. There are, I can't remember now how many, 30-something, I think, commands that say one another. Pray for one another. Lift up one another. Encourage one another. Did you know you can't do that outside of a fellowship? Which means you're in direct conflict with 30-something commands in Scripture by not going to church regularly? I need us to grow in righteousness. I need you to grow in righteousness. I need you to grow in your relationship with God, which means I need you to be here, to sit under the Word of God. Not because I think my teaching's all that. I mean, it's pretty good. <laughs> but because I want you to grow. It's crazy to me that God tells us to make disciples. This is really the only thing God told us to do. Make disciples, baptize them, which is part of the discipleship process, and teach them all that you know, which is to grow disciples. And this is the only thing we don't measure in a church. We measure salvation, we measure how much money we're giving away, we measure all this stuff, but we don't measure our spiritual growth. We're going to start measuring our spiritual growth. Because we have to grow in righteousness. If you're the same Christian sitting in this room right now doing the same stuff you were doing when we opened these doors four years ago, I'm doing something horribly wrong or you're doing something horribly wrong. So we will grow in righteousness this year. And we're going to do that three ways. Through the Sunday assembly. This is the Sunday assembly. For the first time since we've been here, I've got a 12-month, teaching plan for this whole year already I know everything I'm going to teach about this year already for example 
Pursuing holiness will be our January 1st, our January sermon series. Because we need to know the God that we serve. And how holy he is. So that we can see how holy we're not and how much we are in need of who he is. Amen? Once we do from there to that, we're going to go to a series called Revealed, which is revealing God through Christ Jesus. Because then we need to know who God actually is and who he is as he's revealed in Christ Jesus. And then we're going to move to identity because we can't know who we are until we know who God is. And then we're going to move to prayer because once we know who we are, we know the authority that we have and we can start praying the way we should be praying. And so there's going to be a very systematic discipleship process. I need you to be here. Why am I sharing this with you? Because I need you to be here. Because if you miss every other Sunday, you're going to miss every other teaching that's intended systematically to grow your spiritual walk with the Lord. Amen? Why do you need to grow? Because God needs to fill your mouth with His Word so you can tell other people about who He is so that the kingdom of God might grow. What did I tell you our number one responsibility is? Grow the kingdom of God. People's going to ask your opinion. You know what opinion you should give them? You should give them the word of God. You shouldn't give them your personal opinion unless it's aligned with the word of God, in which case you ought to be able to declare the word of God in that opinion also. That's our Sunday assembly, our Wednesday assembly. Some of you guys didn't know this. We actually have a Wednesday service here at 7 o'clock on Wednesdays. We're going to do verse-by-verse teachings through some of the epistles and the books in, in, in the New Testament. I'm going to start with James. I've got it lined out to 18 weeks. And then we're going to go to 1 John. And then we're going to go to 1 Peter. And we'll probably be done with the end of the year by then. I'm starting with James because James tells us what it means to be Christians. Call yourself a Christian. This is what a Christian looks like. 1 John. Oh, you're not sure if you're a Christian? John was written so that you might know. And then finally, our weekly assembly, our discipleship mentoring groups. I want to get people. We're raising up right now. There's a class going on right now that just includes the elders. They're going to start discipleship groups and mentoring one-on-one with people that have questions. Or need someone to walk alongside of them. And as soon as they get done, we're going to have another class. We're going to raise up disciples there too, and they're going to do the same thing. And then another class. Because we're going to have a culture of discipleship here. Because it's the only thing God told us to do. And as we do what God tells us to do, the kingdom grows. What's our primary responsibility? Grow the kingdom. Outreach. I'm not going to get deep down into the weeds on this, but I'm going to give you the kind of the baseline for where we're going. We're going to shift our outreach focus. For the first couple of years we were here, let me tell you what we did. And we did it primarily to get as inf- much influence in this town as we could, as fast as we could. We kind of threw money at anybody that needed it and volunteerism at anybody that needed it. We helped everybody that we could possibly help. And sometimes that came back to bite us because we realized they didn't need help. They were soliciting help because they were too lazy to go out and get help on their own. And so what we're going to do is we're going to shift our outreach to those ministries 
and those organizations that create an immediate kingdom impact or at least create opportunity for kingdom impact. Which means if you can't tell me how what we're doing is going to grow the kingdom of God, we're not doing it. That sounds harsh, but it's not. Let me tell you, American Red Cross gets millions and millions and millions of dollars a year to do non-religious outreach work. Because their mission isn't to, so that people could come to know God, but ours is. And so for us to use money that is marked as holy, set apart unto God, to do anything other than to make God known, isn't not only right, but it's theft of God's property. And so we're going to start paying attention to what we're given to. And we're going to do that a couple of ways. One, we've started, some of you have seen it already in our social media in this city for this city initiative which means we're going to start doing outreach projects in this community I've, I've got meetings with the mayor of the city the mayor of the county and the chamber of commerce next week and i'm going to talk to them about what are the needs in this city and how can this church meet them because in our influence we have audience in our audience we have opportunity to tell the gospel Amen. Secondly, right now, I don't know if you guys know this, but the church tithes. And what that means is 10% of everything that comes into the church is specifically designated for outreach. And it's typically been divided up like this. And I know I'm just giving you a bunch of information, but I'm trying to tell you what we're doing so you guys can decide whether or not you're going to get behind it. Amen. So it's, it's usually divided this way. 50%. The Bible says that God was going to God was going to spread um, the gospel in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and then ultimately to the ends of the earth. And so, when we first started, we took that model: Jerusalem being our community, Judea, Samaria being continental United States, and the ends of the earth being international missions. And because God called us here. That 10, 50% of that 10% stayed right here in our community. 20% went regionally, which is continental United States, and 20% went international, which left us 10% of that 10%. It's kind of, she tells me not to say it this way because it's not, it's not good words, but it's like a slush fund. <laughs> she told me not to say it that way, but that's how I don't want to say it. And it's not necessarily a slush fund because what we do is if there's a regional outreach or an international outreach or a local outreach that needs supplementing, it comes out of that percentage. What we have found over three years, because everything's trial and error when you first start a church, people think they know what they're talking about. I thought I knew what I was talking about until I started doing it and realized I didn't know anything. That we do very little, and if I have been asked to do very little regional outreach, continental United States outreach. And so what we're going to do is we're going to take that 20% from the continental outreach and we're going to pour it back into local ministry. So our local ministry will move from 50% of that 10% to 70% of that 10%, which will greatly increase our ability to, to function inside this community and will help us fund our In This City, For This City projects. Because we have to be a church that's willing to get dirty. Up to this point, well, let me say it this way. You guys are awesome. 
I've read you the numbers. I've given you the statistics. They're great. What this church accomplishes with the number of people in the space that we have is beyond anything I could imagine. But many of us have grown comfortable writing checks, not getting dirty. God called us to do both. So these outreach projects being local should move us from a place of a check-writing church to a getting-dirty church. Not that I don't still need you to write checks, but we should be people that do both. You guys have heard me say this before, this quote that all, all Bibles should be bound in boot leather because God expects us to walk out our faith. We show that we trust Him in our giving and we help or accomplish the goal He's given us in our doing. Amen? And I think we can do it. I'm excited about it because I think we can do it. Because when we do these things, it creates influence. When we do these things, it grows the kingdom of God. When we do these things, it grows this church. So that in the growing this church, we can help plant and grow, grow other churches. So we can send other missionaries. So we can do the stuff that God's called us to do. I want to get my hands dirty. I want us to get our hands dirty. Can we get our hands dirty with the gospel message of Jesus? Yes? Amen. And then finally, worship. This is a semi-natural outcropping of the other three, ground, righteousness, and outreach. As kingdom-mindedness, righteousness, and outreach grows, worship becomes a lifestyle, not an event. Far too often, church folk think worship is an event. It's not. It's a sacrifice. It's a sacrifice of everything that you are to God. The reason why Angela can worship in her chair in the morning is because worship happens everywhere she is. It should happen everywhere we are. The simple act of opening our imagination to who God is and letting Him reveal Himself and dream about how big He is. Let me tell you, dream about how big He is. He's still bigger than that. But opening your imagination to who He is is worship. We can worship and should worship anytime, anywhere. And so we're going to do that. We, through these other things, we should, through sacrificial giving of ourselves, through increase in righteousness, should grow in our worship, which is kingdom growth in us. We're going to do that partially through grow nights. It's really the only event that we're going to do. Grow nights are what we're calling, now that we don't have strive nights anymore, we're going to start calling them grow, grow nights. They're worship nights. It, with the exception of, we're going to be very intentional about celebrating the wins. I'm a horrible, I'm a horrible pastor. And then I don't celebrate the wins with you as often as I should. We have to wait till something like this and I pour all this stuff on you. And you're overwhelmed by what we do. I should be telling you something cool we do all the time because we do cool stuff all the time. And so the grow nights once a quarter will be used to both worship and to celebrate what God's doing because what is celebrated is duplicated. And where God is celebrated, he shows up. Amen? So I believe this is what God called us to do. And ultimately, a life of sacrificial worship becomes a life of evangelism which grows the kingdom of God. You know, Pastor Jim, how is that possible? 
Because once you be move from an event-driven worship to a lifestyle of worship, you're going to come to a single you're going to come to a, a single understanding. And that is your God is so big you can't not tell people about who He is. The natural result of a lifestyle of worship is evangelism. Why do I do what I do? Because I would do it for free. Because I, I know that my God loves me and that he sent his son Jesus Christ to die for me while I was still a sinner and I'm so convinced of it. It overwhelms me to the degree I have to tell other people. I have to. How do we get to there? Live a lifestyle of worship. So This is what I believe God's called us to. To grow. To grow in our ground. To grow in our righteousness, our outreach, and our worship. Ultimately, so that the kingdom of God, through us, might grow. Amen? Let's pray. Father God, in Jesus' name, we love you and thank you, Heavenly Father, for vision. We thank you, first, that you trust us with vision, that you give it to us, that you download it into us. God, I ask that by the power of your Holy Spirit, you give us a conviction to continue on with it, to remain steadfast, to, to stay devoted to it with a single-mindedness that makes it happen. We thank you, Heavenly Father, that your Holy Spirit helps us and allows us the opportunity, the ability to do it. God, I ask that you be with every person in this room as they figure out what their place within the vision looks like and how to create vision for their own life. God, I ask that you pour yourself into them in a new and magnificent way. Show them what they were created for so that they can accomplish whatever personally you've called them to also. God, not so that we can say, look what we're doing. That's not our intent at all. I hope that you know that. I believe that you do. But it's so that you might be glorified in this place, so that the name of your son might be exalted in this place, so that you and your son might be known in this community. We praise you, Heavenly Father, because you love us, because you trust us with the ministry of reconciliation. Let us honor that ministry by doing what you've called us to do. We thank you for who you are. We love you. We appreciate you, and we worship you. In Jesus' name, amen.